on the Empire Podcast this week, we are an exceptional podcast, Mrs. McLean. And since we're moving up to interviewing Alan Rickman, you should be more polite. Yes, Alan Rickman, the man who is Hans Gruber, the sheriff of Nottingham, Severus Snape, and a national bloody treasure, drops by the pod booth to talk about his new movie as a director, A Little Chaos. Plus, all the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that is sitting on the beach, earning 20%. Hello, Fod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our art house guru, a man who is so refined and cultured that he thought Die Hard was a Welsh porno. It's Phil DeSimlian. How yeah. are you? Hey. <laughs> I love the total non-response to that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've given yeah. that. Yeah, that's what it deserves. You say that. You, you yes. say that. You've seen Die Hard, Phil, haven't you? Yeah, James asked me this the other day. He said, you have seen Die Hard? I'm like, oh, f- yes, of course I've seen Die yeah. Hard. Many, 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 many times. Most recently, about four weeks ago. It's the one on the boat, isn't it? it's still not in Welsh. <laughs> it's still not. It's the one on the boat, yeah. Uh, next up is our geek queen, a lady who, like Alan Rickman, once called off Christmas purely so she could watch all 25 seasons of Supernatural. Uh, it's Helen O'Hara. Hello. I hope it gets 25 seasons. That would be hilarious. Where is it at the moment? It's uh, number 10, I think. 10. 10? Yeah. Like you don't know. Is it still going? Yeah, very much. Mm, Going strong. Yep. Dean and Steve are still fighting evil. Oh my goodness, Sam. Uh, Sam and Steve. Sorry, my mistake. Dean. (laughs) All right. Uh, Sam and Dean are still fighting evil. It's all good. All good. Uh, Right. Now we've assembled you guys, uh, like the Avengers, Uh, which we've seen. Which Um, we have. But we'll talk about next week. Embargo. 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 Uh, it's time to tackle your questions. Here's one from email. This is sent by, in by Luke Gray. Luke Gray, if I email, who says, which actor slash character has killed the most people in a film? Luke's suggestions are David Morse in 12 Monkeys, mm. the two idiots at the end of Cabin in the Woods. And he also says Ren and Stimpy, but I'm not accepting that. Because it's not a film. No. And I'm being very intransigent about that this week. Yeah. What do Ren and Stimpy do? I don't know. Also, that's huh. part that's of another factor. Yeah. I don't actually know what they do. Like David Morris, I would put forward uh, Emma Thompson's character in I Am Legend um, <gasps> for similar reasons. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd be tempted to to suggest Superman in Man of Steel, but that would be perhaps unfair. Oh, hell Well, honestly, the amount of property and personal damage there is crazy. Yeah, but we don't know how many people he kills. And also, he doesn't directly kill anyone. No, he just lets them all die. He anyway, doesn't let them all die. Uh, <laughs> we were, discuss- we were discussing yeah. this on the way over, weren't we? We were. And which must have been a weird conversation to overhear for any passers-by <laughs> as we were discussing mass exterminations of, of other planets and yeah. such like. But you were, you were taking it into... Into into space. Yeah, because you have to, don't you? Mm. Because yeah. with something like this, it can't be about on-screen kills, people who've just racked up, say, a, a miserly 100 or 200 kills, like uh, like Matrix in Commando or Neo in the Matrix, you know, or <laughs> or anything that's Matrixy. Um, it has to be, you know, and this is a fun topic for a Friday. Extin- extinction level events. It has to be extinction level events. It yeah. has to be genocidal, and it has to be planetary in its scale, doesn't it? I guess. So I will respectfully offer, uh, I will offer not Grand Moff Tarkin. Okay. Who, because uh, he gives the order to blow up Alderaan. It's actually the poor schmo with the stupid helmet. The bloke with the hat. Who pushes the button. Who pushes the button in the Death Star. And he has to live with that for about a day before he himself is consumed in the fiery wow. righteous fires. What a tough day that must be. <laughs> it must have been. Or maybe he just didn't care. Maybe he was fine with it. Yeah. yeah. We don't really see in... Uh, in the second Fantastic Four, we don't see 
galactus consuming planets before he gets to Earth, do we? We just know he has. Uh, I can't remember having only seen that film once. Yeah, I've, I've only seen it once as well. Isn't that yeah, odd? That's, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, there's there's that kind of thing. I keep. I mean, most of the ones I'm I'm thinking of that are more than a single planet take place in mm-hmm. in either literature or or comics and so mm-hmm. on. But um, yeah, uh, there's a well, heck of a lot. Of Nero thrilling. in Star Trek, who mm. just spoiler, yeah, destroys Vulcan, and mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, the population of Vulcan, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is is estimated in the movie at ten billion. Ten billion. Ten billion. Is it? Yeah. yeah, I think it's meant to be a slightly bigger planet than Earth, so yeah. they kind of fit. Because you wouldn't consider, you know, you'd kind of think that, that Spock and his kin, that all the Vulcans have kind of pretty good birth control plans and, you know, population density at, at acceptable levels and so on. So it must be a slightly bigger planet than ours. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think I have an answer for this. Okay. I do have an answer for this. Robert Duval has played Joseph <laughs> Stalin and Adolf Eichmann. Ooh. <laughs> oh so he's got both ends of that particular um, genocide. And okay. obviously Kilgore too, so he's dropped some, mm. dropped some napalm on some folk. Um, yeah, that would be my answer, I think. That's your answer. Yeah. It's a slightly sobering one. I know, <laughs> I know, I've Real really taken the tone down. Uh, Sorry, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a depressing question. It's not well, a depressing question. It's not a depressing question because it's fictional. It's mm. fictional, isn't it? And you've okay. introduced real and life and horrible events. Yeah. Well, they are characters in movies. Um, I'm going to explain the whole real world <laughs> fantasy thing to again. you later on. Yeah, again, with, get the flow, get the spreadsheet out again, Helen. We're going to, have to do PowerPoint, fired up. Uh, all right, I'm going to say one more. Do it. And this is all spoiler stuff, obviously, but uh, Gary King in The World's End, who is, again, probably yeah. indirectly responsible for the deaths of millions of people <laughs> around the world, and all because he wanted to go for a booze up. But, um, but then he also saved the world, didn't he? I guess. Yeah, so it's In all, the manner of speaking, yeah. perhaps. Uh, swings and roundabouts. Uh-huh. Let's move on to the second question, <laughs> which is a Twitter question from at Jack underscore Shepard 14. And this, I like this one. Mm. What are your favourite long walking or running scenes? Now, there's a lot of these, actually. Mm-hmm. So should we just take walking and then next week we can do running? Mm. Darn it. My only answer was running. You guys answer first and I'll Don't see if I can Don't run before you can walk, Ellen. All right. <laughs> okay. okay. We're going to go walking. Lee Marvin in Point Blank in the corridor. Yes. Because, A, it's fundamentally awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. Watching Lee Marvin walking down that corridor is, yeah, it's a a great bit of cinema. It's also a great bit of storytelling, the way it intercuts between his wife, Uh who's betrayed him, getting made up. He's walking. Uh She's getting made up. He's walking. Then he's back in her. But it's just, it's a really excellent bit of, like, editing cut together, um, the footsteps continue to echo and reverberate down this corridor as he keeps walking, which is about the same distance I've measured as from where we are now in the office to the kitchen, um, which is about <laughs> five five minutes. Unfortunately, it's carpeted, so you can't get the full effect as you go through Closer's, Closer's workspace. Um, but that's, that is, for me, pretty, pretty much a sort of ep- uh, iconic cinematic moment, walking-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What have you got? Uh, well, in terms of length, um, Takeshi Katano beat Takeshi in Violent Cop, walks everywhere. He issues public transport. <laughs> he just, uh, my memory of that film, I love that film, but my memory of it over, overwhelmingly, despite you know everything else about it, is just a lot of walking. But walking with purpose and determination to get somewhere. Have you, have you ever seen the Violent Cop? No, I haven't. No? It's one of the ones I haven't seen. No. Yeah. 
A lot of walking. I mean, just fucking going for it. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like oh, he was fucking walking for he it, was man. Really, totally you know, walking. He had his destination in mind, and nothing <laughs> was going to get in his way, except maybe some stairs and a corner or two. But otherwise, straight line. Yeah, bullet. Hundred percent intensity. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Not mm-hmm. a you know they're walking basically down a, a parking lot, but you know that's an iconic walking scene or the right stuff. Mm. You know that that much parodied shot of the astronauts walking. Yeah, group. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know that's a good one. I like that Great one. Shot. That's good. I keep thinking of all the really long epic walk films rather than actual shots, you know? I'm thinking of um like Rabbit Proof Fence. Mm. Um or the one with where Colin Farrell and the other Russian prisoners had to walk to India, which I've forgotten the name of. Uh Long Way something. The Way Back. The Way Back. The Long Way The Way Back. <laughs> Not the to be confused with the way way back. The way way back. Yeah, it's way really way. Confu- See, that's why back. I forget the name of that film. It was a good film. Wild is a great walking film. I mean, that's pretty much all she does, and it just makes you want to hit, hit your nearest mountain quite hard while carrying an enormous backpack. The other one I can't wait is uh, can't wait for. I really want them to make a walk in the woods. They've been talking about this for years. When this was originally mooted, it was going to be the reunion of Paul Newman and Robert oh, Redford, which of course is yes, very sadly this, never going to happen. This is, this it's been... still it's still on Redford's to do list. It's still something that we we occasionally hear updates about. I just want him to make it already. The book is hilarious, um, and uh, and it doesn't have any kind of plot that resembles what they're talking about doing with it on screen. I don't care. I just want to see it. It would be brilliant. Um, so yeah. yeah, that that will be, I hope, my favourite long walking scene. I like the end of the grand of Grand Illusion when mm. they've oh, yeah. escaped, and the two men from different backgrounds are crossing to freedom. Um, I chose got a bit of a love story element as well, which I love, and the beginning of Army of Shadows. Have you seen Army of Shadows? I've not seen one. Oh, no. Army of Shadows is the greatest film. And it's got the, uh, the uh, sorry to go back to the Nazis again. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not deliberate. But it has, it's set in occupied Paris and it has the German soldiers marching down through past the Arc de Triomphe and it's just a really brilliant opening. Chilling sort Chilling of that, opening yeah. to a movie, yeah. If we're talking about walks that mean something, then Selma should be in the mix, really. Yes, definitely. I just double-checked. But yes, A Walk Among the Woods has been made, Helen. You'll be delighted to know and has been made. It's coming out this year. Hooray! So there you go. There you go. Bit of Bill Bryson action for you. Robert Redford is Bill Bryson. Honestly, if you haven't read Bill Bryson, please do yourself a favour and seek him out. He's amazing. Um, especially A Walk in the Woods, but any of his travel books are hilarious. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, all those great tracking shots. So the Copacabana shot in... Uh, Copacabana? Copacabana nightclub shot <laughs> in, uh, in uh, Goodfellas is a great one. Um, I love the shot of... Um, uh, Sean going to the, the news agent yeah. Sean of the Dead that's a great one as well uh, Burn After Reading I just for some reason the, the, whenever this I saw this question Burn After Reading the beginning of Burn After Reading which is uh, a close up of feet walking very very busily along a corridor uh, just burned into my mind and there's there's tons of great stuff there's tons of great shots of you know tracking behind people as they walk along um, you know lots of great Involved the track of shots, but we could be here all day mm. if we talk about them. Joe Wright, not be. Joe Wright does a very good one in Hannah, doesn't he, through the train station? Mm. Oh, Eric Banner, which, turns, Eric into Banner, the, yeah, yeah. which turns into the fight scene. Yeah. yeah, and there's lots of great shots of people walking, like Beat Takeshi with with purpose. There's a great one in The Hidden, my my beloved, Kyle McLaughlin, uh FBI alien uh, cop B movie thriller, where he and the other cop, you know, 
suddenly they they resolve to go after the bad guy at the end and they walk down a, a prison corridor and it's proper badass. I like stuff like that. Should probably mention Russian Ark as well. We should, yes, because it's, you know. Yeah. I don't really like it that much. Oh my God. Phil is it's very contractually bound <clears throat> to mention Russian Ark. To mention Russian Ark, <laughs> yeah. That's true. So there we go. Uh, right, so next week, running. And if you think if we missed any walking stuff out, and I know we did because this sure. is not an infinite podcast and we can't <laughs> mention everything. Um, and do write in and tell us where we went wrong and do suggest running ideas for next week Jack Shepard Shepard uh, first ever two part question I'm saying the week after hopping <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, okay if you want to get in touch with us we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine use the hashtag Empire Podcast you can Facebook us as well but we're Empire Magazine and you can podcast us no wait no you can't hang on we are a <laughs> podcast do podcasts talk to each other I don't know uh, you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com. Uh, okay, now, uh, time for some lovely movie news. And uh, Igad, mm. Helen. Hello. Um, Wonder Woman's lost its director. No! No! But then, hooray! It's found its hooray! director. Hooray! Uh, so, talk us through that. Yes, it's it's been complicated. So um, Michelle McLaren was the was the lady in the in the driving seat for this one. She's of course a veteran of Breaking Bad and basically all your favorite TV shows. Um, this was going to be her her big screen debut, um, but it was one of those people were very excited about their big screen debut. Um, but she left the the job due to creative differences earlier in the week, um, which is never a brilliant sign for a film, generally speaking. <laughs> but the studio has now hired a replacement and that replacement is Monsters' Patty Jenkins, who, if you remember a few years back, was in the frame for another superhero movie. <laughs> so finally gets her uh, gets she her was. shot at the time. She was going to be, uh, going to direct Thor The Dark World. Yeah, she wasn't just in the frame, she was in, yeah, the, in the in director's the, chair. The and then the old creative differences thing reared its mm. ugly head again and out she went and in came Alan Taylor and... And that's that, and that's that, and that led directly to Terminator Genesis, which is uh, our cover film this month. So again, do go out and buy that issue, and a new trailer for Terminator Genesis came out this week. We should probably discuss that. Mm. Sure, but let's well. discuss Later Wonder on. Woman yeah, first. That's, that's, yeah. that's good. Um, yeah. So uh, what we know so far, obviously, otherwise hasn't changed really. Gal Gadot is still playing the title character. Um, we will see her first in Batman v Superman: colon, Dawn of Justice next March. Um, and then the Wonder Woman film is due in 2017 with Jason Fuchs. Fuchs? Fuchs? Fuchs. Fuchs. I'm going to say Fuchs. Fuchs. Based um, purely on there being a character with the same name in the thing. Okay. Um, his his name is spelled F-U-C-H-S. I apologise to all people of that name for mispronouncing it just now. Um, but he's writing the script for the film. Um, McLaren was collaborating on that while she was in development. God knows if she'll now get a credit or if she's done enough work on it or what will happen to that script now. Um, Jenkins uh, previously directed Monster, of course, um, uh, which obviously won Charlize Theron an Oscar, which is a heck of a, a sort of... Um, uh, pedigree, I guess, to have coming into this, but she's mostly been working on TV since. But in the in the high level r- likes of the killing, yeah. uh, rest of development, entourage, that kind of but thing. But she so. hasn't, and this is am- amazing to me. Mm. Uh, had a uh, another movie since Monster. This does not amaze me because I know how sexist Hollywood is towards female directors. But that's another story, and let's hope that this ushers in a brave new dawn where women get a shot at blockbusters. I have a bit of trivia about her. Please do. Her dad won a silver star as a fighter pilot in Vietnam. So she's familiar with action. So Brilliant. she's familiar. With, <laughs> I don't think she was there. <laughs> she wasn't. In, she wasn't in the back. <laughs> the um, strap in the in the car seat in the plane seat. So oh, no, wow. she could be doing Captain Marvel. Well done. Speaking mm, of Captain Marvel. Dead. Speaking of Captain Marvel, yes. segue has got two writers. Yes. yes. Two hot 
neatly tipped, impressive <laughs> um, writers in Nicole Perlman, a From... veteran of Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. and Meg Lefebvre. Lefebvre? Lefebvre. Lefebvre. Please don't ever marry um, the screenwriter of <laughs> Wonder Woman and Double Barrel, um, who has written Inside Out, which we haven't seen yet, but it's obviously Pixar and no doubt is fabulously scripted. Yeah. So... Um, that is exciting news, but still no word of a director on that one. And, well, and there is a rumour, though, isn't there? Mm, there is a rumour. Oh, do we give the rumour any credence? The rumour, of course, being that Angelina Jolie is, is, has been offered it. I cannot see that happening whatsoever. So cut to this being confirmed the minute this podcast is <laughs> live. Yeah. Uh, that, I cannot see Angelina Jolie... Um, because, I don't know, she would just overwhelm the film, wouldn't she, in a way? Her celebrity would just overwhelm it, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, right, okay, in the in the pro column, yeah. there's the fact that Unbroken showed that she has absolutely no problems handling the technical and creative demands of an enormous scale film. And that was done on a very low budget and it still looked pretty brilliant, mm-hmm. uh, which would certainly fit into the Marvel's kind of penny-pinching but bombastic on-screen kind of strategy. Um so she did, you know, she she could handle it. I think in that respect. Um, I I mean, if she's go- if she's going to be serious about a director, then we have to give her the chance to do films without assuming that her celebrity will overwhelm me. I don't think mm. that's what happened with Unbroken particularly. So it might not be a bad fit. I think the bigger question is whether she would want it and whether she would work well within the strictures and the structures. Yeah, that's another thing. I don't think she would of of the Marvel kind of universe. I can't see it. I can't see it. Well, you know, I, I could be wrong. But it is interesting that with both uh, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, both uh, Warner Brothers and uh, Kevin Feige and Marvel seem to be hell-bent on female directors for their female heroes. Um, You'd imagine also that they'll similarly look for uh, a a person of colour to direct Black Panther Mm -hmm. or maybe Cyborg, which is is great. Do you think, Helen, what's your your take on that? I mean, I think it's good. I think I'd I'd like to see them make an equal effort when they're dealing with male heroes, but, um, but I, I mean, just jobs for the girls at all, frankly, at this point. If anybody saw Lexi Alexander's tweets from the DGA meeting last week, um, it, the, the situation is not good at the moment for, for women in high-level jobs in Hollywood, and it's not looking like getting a lot better. So, frankly, any step, I think, has to be greeted with something approaching mm-hmm. hope or optimism. Um, but these are still baby steps. Let's not let's not be around the bush. Having said that, I mean, I just want to let's get some female superheroes up on the freaking screen. Let's give you know, let's give these stories a chance and let's give them the same attention and the same support and the same push that we give all the guys. One of the rumors I read this week about Wonder Woman was that uh, one of the problems that could not be resolved was that they still don't know which period to set the movie in. Now, isn't that a bit of a worry? You think that's pretty fundamental. Mm. It's interesting. To, I'd be. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of these meetings. I mean, she, she Michelle McLaren joined in November, didn't she? Didn't she? So she's been on board for nearly six months. Six months in which in which time they didn't have a final script, shooting mm-hmm. script for her, and there was talk that from I guess from within the studio that <clears throat> she was the problems with getting the thing on schedule and getting it ready for release. But she, I think, her camp has come back and said, "Well, how can we get it ready for release when we don't have a script yet?" But that's kind of the beast of of, uh, of the modern blockbuster. That just gets the gets the release date first. We've talked about it on the podcast a lot. The release date is is uh, primary, and then yeah, the script yeah. comes second, yeah. and the director comes third, which is an unusually arse backwards way of going about things in a filmmaking term. Yeah. And I guess in that process, it's very difficult for filmmakers with any kind of vision, as Edgar Wright discovered, to 
to to to survive some of these processes and i think that's what's happened here but yeah i think patty patty jenkins seems like a good i mean she's been through it herself hasn't she so i imagine she would have brought a degree of reservation to it she would have needed persuading that it was going to work this time um it's a weird one isn't it in a way she she will sympathize sympathize obviously with michelle mclaren that she both been through exactly the same process yeah um but at the same time a job this big comes up you don't necessarily think twice you don't go well, I had problems oh. the last time I did this, and it didn't quite work out. And no, but, but you'd be circumspect. You, you, you take it. Yeah, yeah. you, you take it. it. Yeah, you'd be circumspect for about four minutes, <laughs> and then you take it. But you'd wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to happen again because that would look bad for all concerned. So okay. yeah, and you know, to be honest, directors have been lost later in the game on movies, and they've turned out all right. Yeah, the aforementioned Thor: The Dark World. A lot of people have problems with that. A film did a major surgery on it uh, right up until the last minute, and it turned out fine. You know, some people don't agree necessarily, but it turns out okay. They're wrong. Um, and obviously, uh, Ant-Man, Jane Got a Gun, mm. yeah. which is not a superhero film, as far as I can tell. Although it does start Jane Foster. Uh, and she's Jane. Hang on. Um, but, uh, you know, that mm. obviously Lynn Ramsey left yeah. that very, you know, mm. the shooting had begun, hadn't begun, it? Yeah, and, it and they brought in Gavin O'Connor, and that's going to come out later on this year, so we'll see how that one turns out. So there, there's obviously a history of this happening quite a lot in Hollywood, and you know sometimes films turn out all right, sometimes they don't. Uh, I think there's enough time on Wonder Woman to make sure that it's it's you know it's it's okay. Yeah, it happened on Gone with the Wind, so you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Two, two weeks times. in, yeah, yeah, somebody got fired. The director got fired. They replaced him. So it's not that it hasn't happened. It's just yeah, it seems to happen with this particular process. Because of the script thing, I think. I imagine yeah. that cranks up the pressure. But you mentioned Ant-Man. There was obviously a, a, a new trailer for Ant-Man. Well, what did we think about that? Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was really great. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, kind of restored my hope in this film, uh, which had been damaged by what happened with Marvel and, and Edgar Wright. Uh, but they've made all the right noises so far. They brought on the right people. I think Peyton Reed is, is fine, you know, it's a fine director, fine choice. Uh, Adam McKay is, is brilliant. Uh, he was brought on to rewrite the script. Um, from what I can see, from what I understand, they do seem to retain the basic beats, I think, of what Edgar Wright might have been going for. Couple of, couple of Edgar Wrighty moments in that. Yeah, um, I just wonder how much of Edgar and Joe Cornish's script will be retained. I don't know, you know, but there's a great joke at the end with a toy train. I yeah. don't know whether that's theirs or not. But Feels like it, doesn't it? It does feel like it. And that's the best bet, so yeah. hopefully there's more of that. But this one had tonally... A more a, a surer foot. It, yeah. it felt, it felt like it was meant to be fun. Yeah. Um, Devin Farachi this week described it as a palate cleanser after the mammoth uh, Age of Ultron. I think that's and fair, and I, I think yeah, I yeah. think that's not going to be a, a a bad thing actually. Just I mean, the same way you know, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which I loved, and it didn't feel heavy, but it was it was quite tough and it was quite dark in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy coming after that kind of benefited from from that slight change of pace and that slight lightness and colourfulness. Mm. Ooh, that's a terrible word. Colourfulness. Sorry, I'm, I apologise. The colour. Mm. Um, and similarly, I think this, this one-two punch is a similar thing. Like mm. Ultron, I mean, we'll talk about it next week, but it is big and it is... You know, thick with with things happening, and actually, it'll be nice to have something slightly lighter and fluffier after that. Not fluffy, maybe. Fluffy. <laughs> right. That's a couple en- of that's enough talk of comic book movies and space operas. Um, so here's here's the news that Matthew Vaughn, director of X Men <laughs> First Class and Kingsman: The Secret Service and Kick Ass, is going to direct Flash Gordon. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, hang on, <laughs> balls. Um, what do we think about this one? 
Well, Izzy, for Izzy, gonna direct. I don't. Well, I mean, who knows? Who, who knows? knows? It's early days. He's apparently in talks. Whatever. What that does means. it mean for Kingsman Two? Because there's going to be Kingsman Two, isn't there? Because Kingsman, uh, the colon, the mm. Secret Service, has done incredibly well for what, especially for what it is, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is an R-rated, mm. uh, fairly low-budget film that is not based on a huge comic book that stars, with all due respect to Colin Firth and Sam Jackson, no one who's going to, you know, get millions of people out of the cinemas and, and, and mm. out of their homes in the cinemas. I think it's done incredibly well. It's, mm-hmm. cl- it's closing in at 400 million worldwide, apparently. And yeah. uh, so, fair play to it. I know there are some people in this in this room who are not fans <laughs> of the film. Um, <laughs> Helen O'Hara. Oh. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, coughs. It's really yeah, not it's really good. Uh, but uh, I, I had a blast with it. So, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, hmm. it's interesting. I know I know. Fawn really wants to do uh, Kingsman 2, but he's, I don't think, even think he's at the... Uh, treatment stage yet so mm. why not do something mm. else if, I mean if this is ready to go then yeah he could probably jump on this in the meantime and he could jump on this in the meantime and then you know keep that bubbling on the back burner potentially um, it could be I mean it could be kind of a good fit you know he's 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 been playing with First Class and with Kingsman with this really sort of hyper colourful crazy kind of tone slightly almost slapstick at times which isn't actually a bad fit for, for Flash Gordon so mm. Mm. you know I mean, the, the real questions for me are, you know, what role will Brian Blessed play? And and the answer has cannot be no role at all. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm very insistent on that. Um, Sam Jones apparently was was talking it up as a sequel, um, which is I, I don't know what that involves, um, yeah. but I'm not sure that he necessarily fits in quite so well. We'll see. Mm. Um, but you know, it, and I quite like you know a, a, a soundtrack is ridiculous. As as the nineteen eighties film, the the mm. Queen's songs there were absolutely fantastic. So maybe I'm I'm agnostic on this one. Mm. I think. I'm not a fan of the original. I'll be honest, but um, we'll see, we'll see. This may just be scuttlebutt at Indeed. this point in time. A uh, couple of last things: Jason Sudeikis, formerly of this podcast, as indeed as Matthew Vaughn, um, is po- once again <laughs> circling the role of Fletch. Mm. Mm. What do we think of that? I mean, that sums been, it up. Okay, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I uh, props to to um, our LA stringer James White for uh, for for opening his new story with they're trying to make Fletch happen. Um, yes. Still, still <laughs> trying to make Fletch happen because they've been trying it for quite a long time now, and there's no guarantee this one's going to be any more successful. I remember this when Jason Lee was being perpetually linked with the role, and Kevin Smith was going to do it. And uh, I remember, yeah, this is like. Yeah. This is yeah. so old. Back now, when Peter Laurie was going to play the character. <laughs> oh, no, hello. oh my god. Hello, everybody. I'm Fletch, the undercover reporter. Helen, why are you taking off your headphones? It's oh, really no. hard to cover your oh. ears when you've got oh. earphones on. All right, sorry. Oh. We'll do it again. No. I seriously won't do it again. Okay. So, what were we talking about? Peter Laurie? Yes. No. <laughs> um, no, the, Peter Laurie. The, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I, don't know. I didn't. Been, I mean, I liked the first one a bit when I was when I watched it years and years ago. But I haven't seen it. Since first then. one's great. First one's got yeah. a really cool score and it's got that. Uh, I mean, Stephanie right. Mills theme tune bit by bit, always undercover. So Ooh. it's so no. good. I mean, I I tried to watch it a couple of years back and it it it's didn't terrible. really work for me. Not good. <laughs> it's not so, that good. Uh, I, I'm 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 a little bit unconvinced. I I don't think that he's a bad fit for a role that originally played by Chevy Chase. I can see that kind of working. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't care yeah. very much. Hey, speaking of uh, 
fluffy comedy capers. Michael Mann <laughs> has a has a new project, and it's the Ferrari. Ferrari. Um, I've totally forgotten his first name. Enzo. Enzo Ferrari has got a... There's a couple of movies. Robert De Niro is on board for one of them, which covers mm. his later years, I guess, when he was post-racing driver and starting to set up the Ferrari team and Formula One was on the uh, on the upsurge. And uh, Michael Mann has got his Ferrari project finally up and running. He's been trying to do this for years, Many, he? many yeah. years, yeah. So um, that's something to look out for. Does he want to change the colour of the cars to blue? He might have a problem with that. <laughs> that's a good question. Very possibly. Um, and Eddie Redmayne we should mention, shouldn't we? We should. I'm looking at you here, Helen. This, this feels like one for you. The Fantastic Beasts. Yes, um, as Newt Scamander in the Harry Potter spin-off, who's the lead role, basically, in the Harry Potter spin-off. Listen, I mean, I've read the book, which is, what, 45 pages long. Uh, you don't get a huge amount of character from that, but from the tiny bit in there and from the tiny bits we've heard about the project, he actually seems like kind of a cool fit for that world. Um, in that, you know, so this is set 80 years before the events of the Harry Potter story, which, if you remember, are actually set in the 90s. So this should be sort of 1920s ish mm-hmm. New York, mm-hmm. Jazz Age New York plus Wizards. I say, I've said it before and I'll say it again that is going to look awesome. Um, but he goes basically looking for Fantastic Beasts. Um, this is prior to writing his seminal textbook on the subject. Um, and I just, I, I get I get that. That just seems right. Eddie Redmayne as a, a sort of academic wizard who also goes out hunting for dangerous beasties. Yes, on board. Cool, bring it. Um, it's also, a you know, one way of sort of cashing in on your post-Oscar kind of fame is to take one of the, what should be an enormous franchise and lead it. And so... David Yates has directed that. Is that right? That is, I think, the last I heard, yeah. That's fascinating. So he's going to have two movies out in 2016. Mm, Tarzan. Maybe. And Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Him. Which is the same as Juan Antonio Bayona, who mm. will have World War said to, not see, mm. said, World War said to, uh, and then uh, A Monster Calls in the same year. In fact... He started working on Monster Calls before World War Set. Yeah, that's going to come out first. He can't make Tarzan and Fantastic Beasts he can. in the same year. Steven Spielberg made Schindler's List in Jurassic Park in the same year. Mm. While also working in his spare time on Animaniacs. Yeah, that's true, but there wasn't an enormous amount of CGI on Schindler's List. There was an Animaniacs. Well, not CG, but oh, okay. animation. I don't know. That seems that seems ambitious. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we should mention Terminator Genesis, shouldn't we? Before we, before is it, we... why is everyone suddenly pronouncing? I Genesis? don't know because that's how it's spelled. Just because it's funnier. It's, it's better. not funnier, guys. It's Genesis. Oh, it's rubbish. Whatever. We'll spell it with an I then. No, I can't. Okay, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't bring myself to spell the word the right way. Um, yeah, the trailer came out this week. Um, things happen in it, and uh, including a huge revelation. Now, this is really one we shouldn't talk about until we do a possible spoiler special down the line. We'll see how it goes. Um, but the revelation from the trailer seems to be, and earmuffs if you don't want to hear this, that the new Terminator, the new badass Terminator that travels back in time to try and kill Arnold Schwarzenegger's pops and Amelia <laughs> Clark's Sarah Connor and Jai Courtney's Kyle Reese is... John Connor mm. himself, um, as played by Jason Clark, sent back from the future, uh, and yeah. So wait, mm, what? Yeah, mm. you've seen it, right? You've seen the trailer. I actually haven't watched that trailer. You haven't seen the trailer yet. No, have I just ruined it for you? I- I'm okay with it being ruined. Okay, but wait, what? Okay, so immediate reaction. Yeah, John oh. Connor is a Terminator. 
I mean, that's been played with before. Yes, at the end of Turn to Salvation, yeah. the fact wasn't he meant to be... He was meant to be killed and then... Cloned. Cloned or, or loaded into a Transformer body. Transformer? Transformer. A Transformer <laughs> body? A Terminator body or something like that. Yeah, but here's, here's, my, here's my question. I'm sure the film will answer all these questions because oh, the film sure. is, is playing with the timeline of, of both the good movies. Uh, you know. Yeah, which is a decent start because yes. there's no point in just redoing exactly the same old Precisely. stuff already. But if John Connor is a Terminator, sure. doesn't that mean that Skynet has won? And <gasps> therefore, why would it need to send him back? Mm. Well, but so uh, I don't. But know. maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe there's maybe there's more to it. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. You can we cannot sit and pick plot holes in a trailer for exactly that reason. Because Precisely. That's what I'm saying. There's more to it. Yeah. It's irresponsible. It would be wrong. It's science gone mad. But if the T1000 is a polymimetic alloy and it can shift itself into all kinds of shape shifting funkiness, funkiness. Why yeah. can't they just pretend to be John Connor? But this isn't a T1000. This is something new. Well, so it's less sophisticated than the T-1000. No, it seems to be more sophisticated than the T-1000. But it can't do the things that the T-1000 can do. Wow, well, I didn't say that. We mm. don't know. So maybe it's a pretend John Connor and then the real John Connor is also going to come back. They're going to have a John yeah. Connor off. Maybe he's locked in a box somewhere. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, or, that's what I would do. We'll just kill him. Don't I kill him. Know. They're just dragging it out. That's the breaking news klaxon. It is now... I'm calling it a klaxon. I thought it was the sound of the police. I know the sound of the police, and that is not the police, my friend. They... It's the Star Wars news klaxon. <laughs> it, is. it should go. It is now Friday, April 17th, the day after we recorded the podcast. Helen is not here because she's not here. Uh, Ali and I have come in the morning after the night before because Star Wars celebration is unfurling right now as we speak in Anaheim, California. James Dyer is on the ground. But they kicked off last night with a big panel, didn't they, Ali, with uh, J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy and they came on, they talked about the film, they dropped a little... You know, a couple of tidbits of information and then they brought out Oscar Isaac and John Boyega and Daisy Ridley and Mark Hamill and Peter Mayhew and Anthony Daniels and Carrie Fisher. And then they dropped a bigger bombshell, which was the second teaser for The Force Awakens. And pretty, pretty, pretty good. I think uh, what I liked most was seeing this tweet of a guy saying, I have watched the new Force Awakens trailer for the 15th time and now I'm crying again. Because <laughs> uh, it ends with a shot, the first shot we see or have seen mm-hmm of old Chewie, who looks pretty good. No grey hair there. Well, he is several hundred years old. True enough. So you've got to figure out that, why would he suddenly go grey? In walking carpet years. Yeah, he's, he's, he's barely been trodden upon. And then we have, of course, Han Solo, yeah. probably limping at that point. Uh, <laughs> he's crashed saying, into something. Saying, Chewie, we're home. And that is the killer, cry your eyes out moment. For some reason... God knows why this emotionally affects people. Uh, I know why. Uh, it's just a huge, huge inhalation of breath. We had somebody on the floor finding out about it right in front of it all, and I think it's safe to say he lost his shit, yeah. as did the rest of the world. This was such an interesting thing, because um, the Star Wars Celebration event, I went to the one in Germany a couple of years ago, in, in uh, I think it was Stuttgart. Uh, don't kill me if it isn't. Um, and it was fantastic. What the, what they did this time, what uh, Disney and Lucasfilm did this time, was what everyone paid for their tickets and accommodation, and then they decided to live stream every event on StarWars.com anyway, uh, which might have pissed some people off who paid a lot of money for tickets and hotels and whatnot. And I watched this last night on the internet, and it was 
killing me that I wasn't in the room because I was there a couple of years ago and I love things like this. And I love being in the room and I love the atmosphere and the energy and I love the fact that there's some amazing merchandise you can get right now, um, which hopefully James is going to bring back for me. But the, the, the teaser just blew me away. I made a bet this week in the office with Nick DeSimlian uh, of this podcast. I bet him £10 that when the dust has settled and every last dollar and cent has been totted up that Avengers Age of Ultron will make more money at the global box office than Star Wars The Force Awakens and frankly I have fairly decent science and math to back up my theory however that teaser last night and the reaction online makes me think that I've just blown 10 quid uh, because this thing the avalanche of goodwill the avalanche of nostalgia, the feeling that it made me feel, that, that trailer, uh, cannot be bargained with. It's just, this thing's going to be a juggernaut, if it's a good film. Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, all did really, really well at the box office. Even, But only really the diehard Star Wars fans started to go to them after a while. Uh, I've got a feeling this one will really break out and could be, could be mammoth. Can I ask a few basic questions? Yeah. This new planet, there's a new planet, tell new me planet. about it. New planet in uh, The Force Awakens. We all thought that we saw the desert planet in the previous teaser. We all assumed it was probably Tatooine, the desert planet, the homeworld of Anakin Skywalker and Luke Skywalker. Turns out it's not. It's a new planet called Jakku, J-A-K-K-U, on which Rey lives. Rey is the character played by Daisy Ridley. In the film, she is a scavenger who lives in a ship graveyard. Uh, that's the planet on which, if you've seen the teaser, if you haven't, then go and see it immediately, uh, on which the opening shot, uh, which looks like Ray on her land cruiser from a distance, uh, driving past a huge hulking wreck of a Star Destroyer, which has clearly been ditched uh, after the Empire fell. Uh, and it's just an astonishing shot to open on. And later in the, t- in the teaser, you see a dogfight between the Millennium Falcon and some TIE fighters, and the, the Falcon, who we don't know who is piloted by at that point, it could be Han and Chewie, could be someone else, um, goes through the engines of the Star Destroyer. Uh, so that's, that's very interesting. And there's uh, a couple of other shots where we see uh, Ray team up with John Boyega's Finn, who we know now, we've had official confirmation in the form of a curt nod from John Boyega on stage that Finn is indeed a stormtrooper who may be turning his life around and uh, they're on the run from explosions alongside BB-8, the cool little rolling ball droid. Now tell me about the two new bad, very bad uh, looking characters one that has a mask on its face and the yeah. other one which has a mask on its face. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. So we, we know Kylo Ren is in the film. We know that Kylo Ren is probably the Darth Maul-y, Darth Vader-y, Sith-type badass. Broadsword guy. In it. Yeah, he's the broadsword, the the broadsaber guy. And we see here a, a, a full frontal shot this time, a steady, of Kylo Ren. Uh, we still haven't had official confirmation he's played by Adam Driver, but... Uh, it seems the smart money is that he's played by Adam Driver. He's clearly a badden. He's clearly very powerful and clearly very formidable. There's also uh, a, a shot of a badass stormtrooper come TIE fighter pilot called uh, apparently Captain Phasma. And uh, Scuttlebutt is that uh, she, could be a she, will be played by Gwendolyn Christie of Game of Thrones fame. And just looks fantastic. Looks really dark and menacing. There's a, there's a shot in the teaser of a sort of, uh, I'm not going to say Imperial Rally, because apparently the Imperial, uh, the Empire is no more. It's been replaced by something called the First Order in this movie. Uh, so there's a rally 
and uh, you see lots of Star Destroyers and lots of Stormtroopers and lots of paraphernalia. And uh, in the background, there's a black figure standing clearly who's at the centre of all this. Uh, and I don't know who that is. I'm really intrigued to see. Because there's a lot of characters we still haven't seen yet. There's a lot of characters we still haven't information about. But we got information yesterday about Finn. So we know now Finn confirmation. He's a Stormtrooper. Uh, we know that Ray is a scavenger. Again, this is stuff that kind of was out there. Uh, but Oscar Isaac was there yesterday and he called Poe Dameron the best freaking pilot in the galaxy. So he seems to be the guy who's got the cocky, solo-esque, Lando Calrissian charisma going on. Uh, we saw a scene in the teaser of him whooping with joy as he, as he pilots his X-Wing. And we know also that he is now on a mission uh, working for Princess Leia. Now, Leia, it can be seen in the teaser very, very briefly being given Anakin slash Luke's original lightsaber. So there have been rumours that the plot revolves around the lightsaber that Luke lost when his hand was cut off on Cloud City. It all seems to be piecing together slowly, so maybe Leia gets the lightsaber that belonged to her brother uh, and wonders, Ooh, where did this come from? There's a bit of a mystery, and asks Poe Dameron to find out more about it. Then that brings him into contact with Finn, played by John Boyega. Uh, we know from the trailer that Finn and Rey team up, so presumably those are our three leads. It certainly seems to be that way so far. They've been very, very heavily featured in both the trailers. Um, I think they were even referred to yesterday as the three leads. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about where the story goes. And you see Luke Skywalker, you see his hand, you see him in robes on a what looks like a, a, a very dark planet, um, patting R2-D2 on the head uh, with his robot hand. And you hear Luke Skywalker's voice in the teaser as well, but you hear it. It seems to be uh, an appropriation of what his speech to Leia in Return of the Jedi, where he goes, my father has it, my sister has it, he's talking about the Force, I have it, you have that power too. But it's been slightly repackaged and slightly edited out of order. Who's but, the you? Well, that's interesting. You would think by process of elimination, it has to be Rey, right? It has to be Rey. If the Force runs in this family, I don't know. If Rey is the daughter of Han Solo and Princess Leia, who is, for whatever reason, wound up on Jakku as a scavenger, um... It would stand to reason that if she's Leia's daughter, then the Force will be strong on her to some extent. But, having said that, apparently there was concept art at celebration of Finn with a lightsaber hanging from his uh, his costume. So, could he be strong on the Force as well? Could he be Luke's grandson? I don't know. Who knows? What was your favourite part of the whole celebration, the bit where Anthony Daniels <laughs> had a jelly wrestle <laughs> with Mark Hamill? <laughs> I love those guys. They really knew how yeah. to, to bring the party. Their t-shirt cannons, that's one thing. But, yeah, yeah. you know, slinging coloured, fruit-flavoured, soft, squidgy, sweet treats yeah, at yeah. each other, that was just fantastic. I must have missed it, but uh, I think my computer crashed at one point and I was yelling obscenities on my computer, which, again, wouldn't have happened if I had been actually in the room in Anaheim. But, yeah, uh, because if you'd had your computer there and you were shouting at it, people would have told you to They would have up. told me to go. Yeah, well, you know, they would have force-choked me to bits. Um, there is so much on the website for you to find out more yeah. about uh, when it comes to this trailer and obviously Star Wars in general, so please do check it out. We have a frame-by-frame trailer breakdown and obviously pictures from inside the Anaheim Super Celebration and much more. So do check it out. And obviously, thank you for allowing mm. this brief intermission into Star Wars land. Before we go, quick question to you. Go ahead. I'll put you in the spot. Spot me. What do you think is going to be bigger, Avengers or Star Wars? Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Shall I do the klaxon? Now we return you to our regularly scheduled podcast programming. Right. Should we move on? Sure. Let's move let's on. Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's move on uh, to this week's guest. Yes. Who you might have gathered 
is Alan Rickman. Yes, it is. Yes. It's bloody well Alan Rickman, who, of course, is one of our finest actors. He started the screen career with a bang uh, by creating one of the greatest villains in movie history, the endlessly quotable Hans Gruber in Die Hard. And he's parlayed that into a brilliant movie career in the likes of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the Harry Potter series, where he was Severus Snape. And uh, Love Actually, he also has one of the top ten voices in movies. That's a fact. You can look that up. It's on Wikipedia. Uh, he uh, he returns to the director's chair this week with A Little Chaos, his first film in years, uh, a tale of two gardeners in the court of Louis XIV in the Palace of Versailles. Uh, Rickman dropped by this week and he spoke to the brothers de Simeon, Phil and Nick, thus ensuring my eternal jealousy, mm-hmm. hatred of him and a possible campaign against him later on that they will not see coming. <coughs> uh, do enjoy the interview. I know I will. Do um like... YouTube things and uh, I did a couple of things and somebody said oh did you know blah blah had gone viral and you go what (laughs) I did this thing with me in slow motion drinking a cup of tea for a serious artist in New York and they whipped it out of it and it had like millions of hits all I'm doing is drinking a cup of tea what kind of tea was it it is a special it was a tea bag in a cup <laughs> but it's part of a 3 hour installation that was 80 feet wide on the side of Lincoln Center oh wow and they just took this one out and put it with some music and wow was the whole thing you you drinking if you a cup have of tea? a moment where you've got nothing better to do it's just called Alan Rickman as a cup of tea that's straight what I'm doing straight after this <laughs> it's it's a rare joy and pleasure to be joined on the Empire podcast by Alan Rickman on this is probably the nicest day of the year and here you are know, we're buried buried in the bow the guts I guess of, yeah. of Golden Square this is how you spend your life I usually like to be at least two levels down from here if possible yeah. where it's a bit danker but it's not <laughs> ideal is it is this good growing weather because obviously you made a film about sort of gardens is this a perfect uh, day for things well, you're to... asking the wrong person except that we do have a little garden at the back of our house I look out of the window and go, oh, this is spring, because uh, we have a tree in the corner of this courtyard that has little white flowers, and they're out. It's like an alarm clock in yeah. tree form. Do you know what type of tree that is? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tall, thin tree. We have all these really complex gardening questions, which we're now going to have to cross out. Yeah, scrub them out. I had this idea that maybe if Alan Rittman was offered a plot at the Chelsea Flower Show, you'd have some kind of... I don't know, sort of vision for how, what that might look like. But well, I must... No, I might. Or I just would have to get a gardening expert to do the plants. But I might. I like going to gardens and being surrounded by plants. And... We have many questions about your new film, A Little Chaos, okay. which, is, which we touched on, obviously. It's about gardening at the beginning of the Palace of Versailles. And I, I guess the first question was for you, really, is just kind of what the genesis of this was. What was the kind of the first moment that it grabbed you? The script dropped through my letterbox quite a long time ago now uh, uh, from Alison Deegan, and it was a fir- her first screenplay, and uh, much as I immediately loved it, I wasn't free to direct it because I was so involved with Harry Potter at that time. Only three books had been written, so I didn't know that I was not going to be free to direct a film for quite a while. Because, uh, you know, you need more than a year to be able to say, yeah, I'll direct a film. And so once Potter had got itself established as a kind of working process, I knew that I was there for seven weeks every year. But I was directing elsewhere in the theatre, so it was it stayed with me, and Alison didn't take it away from me. And 
Um, it was, you know, I have an art school background and a design background before I started acting. And uh, the images jumped off the page and it was just a case of they wouldn't go away. And so then I guess you know that you're going to have to direct it. By the time we got to the point of making the movie and funding it and me being free, Kate Winslet was the right age. Having already directed one film, uh, The Winter Guest, did you look at the scripts, though, and in the back of your mind say there's a lot of location work and this is going to cause a lot it's of... It's a nightmare. Logistic, you yeah. read it and you go, I'm going to do this and I'm going to fight to do this and most of it is going to be a nightmare. But um, it, and it wasn't even the backdrop of it that was fascinating me. It was uh, the central relationship and the fact that the backdrop gave it a context that might be set in 17th century France, but is actually totally modern. And I'm not really interested in a period story that's just period, you know. It's like, you might as well be directing biscuit tins. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Alan Rickman's Hobnobs movie, I would pay to see. Um, Uh, Go with a cup of tea. It's got to have some content, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. It's got to have some relevance and to now... Uh, or you've got to think about now a bit, and I hope that that's what this film does. You had a uh, limited budget, but you, you mount a kind of mini Titanic where Kate Winslet falls into a weir, I believe, and almost drowns. Mm. What was that scene like to do? It looked tough to pull off, potentially. Very tough, because like all of it, you know, the, there's that, and then there's a carriage crash, and then there's a huge dance number at the end, never mind the more intimate scenes, uh, which also take a lot of time and attention. And you've got to somehow chop it all up and divide it into eight weeks of shooting, which really, honestly, isn't enough. So you know when you're doing the Kate Falls in the Weir scene that it's got to be done that night. Yeah. So it's through the night. Uh, and Kate, by that time, was, I think, 14 weeks pregnant. So wow. you're also watching with your fingers crossed. You found out she was pregnant during the shoot. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. How did she tell you about the news? How did she break the news to you? With those well-known words, Alan, sit down for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> was there a lot of other times when people said that to you during the during the movie? No, no, everybody was on their feet, very much on their feet. There wasn't much sitting down going on on this film, but uh, that was one moment where you go, oh, my God, and do a bit of instant maths. You go, we, okay. Get the tape so measure we're out. two weeks into <laughs> shooting. She's just said she's nine weeks pregnant. So by the time we finish, she's going to be 15 weeks pregnant. That's quite a lot. You know, she's wearing a corset. Did doing a little chaos bring to mind Dangerous Liaisons at all, which is another French kind of period thing, which she did on stage back in the mid-80s? Um, yeah, it's a different period. But, um, you know, you're reminded of the fact, it's a bit like I was saying, that there's manners and then there's clothes, and clothes actually dictate an awful lot about how you behave. Um, you're not, you, you don't relax in those clothes. They're designed so that when you are standing properly, every bit of your body is shown to its best advantage. Mm. You know, Louis XIV invented wigs because he went bald. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you rock a mighty wig on stage back in back in the 80s? I did not wear a wig for that because that uh, that was yeah it was a bit there was a sort of a parallel. We had all sorts of historical inaccuracies in that, and we have historical inaccuracies deliberately so in a little chaos. But you know, in in uh, liaison dangereuse, it would have been impossible because it was three hours of and ending up with a sword fight. You don't want to be <laughs> weak on your own. No, no, not I just a lot more hair. 
Can you write? And the, the movie <clears throat> Dangerous Liaisons came out three years after you did it. Was that something you would have liked to have done? John Malkovich. Too. Oh, I think I'd, I was shooting Die Hard by then, so I'd moved on, they'd moved on, and yeah. um, it would have been very difficult to do it if Lindsay Duncan hadn't done it. So you just think, oh, well, yeah, said goodbye. I had a quote from uh, one of your castmates from the play, Juliet Stevenson. I don't know if you've heard this. She, from Liaison? Because we've done a lot together. I know, you guys have worked several times. Her, her quote is, I'm not sure if you've heard this, mm. she once described you as a cross between a panther and a camel. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> Would you agree? I think she was referring to your endurance in terms of being oh. a camel rather than you having a hump or anything. Well, Juliet's good with words. I just, um, I don't know. I'd have to now, of course, all I'm doing is thinking and I'm not going to be tested on it how would i describe her <laughs> that that's the next question <laughs> are there any animals that come to yeah, mind well i bet she had time to think about that one um, oh, that says to me that you're you're swift and graceful and you can cross sandy land masses which i think is a comp- the ultimate compliment uh, well I one don't... of them you can ride and the other one you can't so well, easily. <laughs> there we go there we go just what you should know thank you i'll be testing her on that um a couple of years back i saw you at somerset house introducing a, a screening of die hard Oh, yeah, that was thrilling. Did you stay and watch the film? Is that a film that you have fondness for, or are you tired of people bringing it up? No, it means a lot to people, and it's, uh, I think it's uh, an example of the days when they used to make movies like that that had a script. Mm. Very good one. Um, and that's why maybe it's lasted, and it's a shame that not too many people have learned that lesson, you know, and also it was pre-special effects. So um, there's a lot of old-fashioned values in it. It's a really good, witty, strong script, and it's brilliantly shot. I had no idea at the time. It was the first film I'd ever made, so um, I was a complete innocent. We started a huge wave of die-hard honour this, die-hard honour that, Mm. that entire thing. Um, I mean, talking of the script, uh, is it true that one of your key scenes was invented on the spot, which is the scene where you uh, pretend to be American? It wasn't invented on the spot. Um, I think there are many stories flying around, and I'm not sure who claims ownership of them, but the truth of the matter is that um, when I was sitting and talking about the character, I said I was being fitted for all this terrorist gear, and I said, why would I be wearing this stuff? When I, and I, cause I, I could see all the actors who were going to be playing my henchmen. I said, when they are, and look at the size of them. (laughs) So why not put me in a suit? And if I was in a suit, then perhaps there could be a scene where Bruce Willis and I meet each other and I pretend to be one of the hostages. That is how it happened. Then they, I didn't know what they were going to do with that. And then I went back to England and then I came back to start shooting and they handed me some pages of the script. And they'd obviously done a lot of work and sat down and put this into the film. It's a great scene. I would say, were you originally in a leather jacket or something? Did you have a costume? Maybe? Well, I tried those things on and I was looking stupid <laughs> next to it's these hard to imagine hulks. Yeah. You know, it was clearly... I, I was playing somebody who does not get his hands dirty. Yeah. I only knew to go at it like from a theatre basis, which is, you know, what, what did I have for breakfast? What do I know? And... So this guy's hired people to get his hands dirty, so why don't we keep his hands very, very clean? Yeah. There's, there's one scene I wanted to be dying to ask you about. I interviewed John McTiernan at the beginning of last year, and he um, talked about shooting the sequence, your death sequence, where you, you plummet downwards, and he said that he did the stunt first. 
to kind of show to you that it was safe. Just wondering what your what your <laughs> memories of doing that because it's 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 one of the most iconic shots. It's he may in... be imagining that <laughs> scenario. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's an amazing. He certainly did not do it. Okay, All right. I trained from ten feet, fifteen feet, yeah. twenty feet, etc., up to whatever it was, forty feet. And how many takes? Three, I think, at three o'clock in the morning, and it was my very last shot on the film. Now I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> We've lost Alan. It's okay. Yeah. So we've we finished. Alan. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but what films do people try. want to come and, and talk to you mm. about the most in the street? And people come quite all, dialogue. all of them. You know, it's yeah. very. You never know. Well, not all of them. Uh, some of them have so little distribution. People are still hungry to see them. I think, but. Um, Depends on the person, you know. There's people to whom you've talked about truly madly deeply. There's people who want to talk about sense and sensibility. There's people who want to talk about bottle shock or, mm. or snow cake yeah. or, you know, anybody who's got an autistic child. Snow cake's a very important film to them. Yes. Uh, um, obviously, there's a very special expression on a child's face when they're... Because they don't always thank God, recognize me. But uh, when it's pointed out to them, you realize that you're connected to the inside of their head on some level. And you watch a child trying to figure this out because, wait a minute, that character lives in my imagination and now you're telling me that person's... It's, it's a weird thing you can watch happening inside a child's it's, mind. It's the Wizard of Oz moment, I guess, when the curtain goes back for them. Probably. Suddenly it's think, it's a bit like when you're at school, and I remember in art class, the disappointment in a way when the teacher said, the sky isn't a blue stripe across the top of the page. <laughs> so what's, what's next then? I don't know. I'm, uh, I've signed on to do a movie in July, which is set in Victorian England. And meanwhile, I have the next um, Alice in Wonderland coming out. And... After that, I think, or before that, is a film called Eye in the Sky with um, Helen Mirren and Aaron Paul, which is about, actually it was all over the news this morning, um, the use of drones against terrorism. Have you seen Breaking Bad? I'm on the old, I'm halfway through the first season. Oh, you're on the box. You've got the box set. I'm so behind. What do you make of it? I did, I wasn't getting it at the beginning and then suddenly I wanted to know, now what? And when you're only on that, first season so I obviously I know the answer but um, you're watching it and thinking how the hell are they going to make this last yeah but I guess they do is that something everyone you know is telling you you have to watch this you have to watch this it's brilliant yeah and uh, and I'm not very up on you see this is where the world has changed television watching and all over cable channels mm. and you, you know there's enough hours in the day there's too many box sets, not enough hours. There's an amazing variety of, of stuff that you do, comedy and voiceover and all kinds of stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you about the new music video by the band Texas, mm. which you pop up in and mm. sing a little. One word I think I sing. I think you have a, I think you have a more than one. <laughs> do I? Yeah. Where did that come from? Because that's your second music video <clears> with, with it Texas. It comes from Charlene Spiteri ringing you up and saying, would you do this? Yeah. And the first time round was... Would you come and dance a tango with me in a petrol station? <laughs> you go, well, <laughs> why not? And I really like her. And yeah. uh, 
And so, and she's a good friend. And uh, then, you know, a bunch of years later, she asked me to do another one. Did you become friends after the first music video, or did you know each other? I, d I didn't know her, no, but you'll become friends very quickly if you dance the tango. <laughs> the petrol station. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you, I mean, mu music is sort of a recurring motif that in your career as well, I suppose, in terms of, you know, Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd, you sing, mm. um, Truly Madly Deeply, you do some singing. I've seen a video on YouTube of you singing a song in French. Is it true that you were linked or you were offered a Frank Sinatra biopic at one point in your true. earlier career? And, and what was the story behind that? Who was, what was, who was the director? Well, somebody that was, was insane, um, <laughs> I'm not agreeing. I'm just <laughs> it's at a time in your life where people go, who's this? This person's interesting. Let's fling any old script at them. I have no idea whether it was a good script. It was just the notion of me playing Frank Sinatra was that would just be no. <laughs> Straight away. Without even thinking no. about it. No. Yeah. Was that the strangest thing that you were sent or the thing that you felt that was... That was pretty high up there. <laughs> Do you like Sinatra, though? He He's brilliant. Got his... Yeah, because I, w I watched him a bit the other day on... Uh, Sky Arts is a good channel for coming across strange old bits of music. You know, it was a Moody Blues concert the other day and then Nina Simone and and then there was a bit of Sinatra. You know, it's grainy black and white footage. But still and all, you, you realise that the, that guy with that unbelievable voice is really singing the words. Mm-hmm. You know, every bit of his phrasing is about what he's saying, not the note he's hitting. Mm. And that's a good yeah. lesson. Sorry, this is a little bit scattershot, but I have to ask about uh, one of my favourite performances of yours, which is Robin Hood, Prince Thieves. Mm -hmm. And I read the, uh, a quote from you saying that you based the Sheriff of Nottingham on a rock guitarist. Well, the look. The um, look was... I thought he should be a bit of a rock guitarist, yeah. So, uh, and I, me and... Uh, uh, hair and makeup department. I, I seem to remember we put. Well, it wasn't my idea. It was it was theirs. Put had very black hair, but they put some dark blue in it. And it's those sort of details. It's a bit like when I did Lelias and Dangereuses, and Bob Crowley put us because it was one set but multi-locational, and you had to kind of persuade people without moving a stick of furniture that you were going from one place to another. Therefore, it helped that we were all in the same color all night long. We're all in white mm. in that play. And I was playing somebody with such a complicated psyche that I mm. said, I can't, I need something dark. And so I used to tie, with Bob Crowley's permission, a piece of black ribbon around one wrist. So I just had that essence to work with. And with um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, it was sort of helpful to have sense of somewhere um, rock guitarist, I suppose, swagger. Roger Ebert wrote at the time that you played the role like David Letterman. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I take it that wasn't in your mind. I like David Letterman. I'm not quite sure what the parallel is, although I suppose he's he's got a kind of, he's a bit cheeky, isn't he, with the way he <laughs> treats people. You know, I I'd be quite scared to go on his show. <laughs> it looks like he's enjoying himself. Yeah, he does, I think. And he's he's not reverential, and that's healthy. That was the summer of uh, Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do. I wonder if you managed to avoid that, because it seemed to be in the charts. How could you? It was there for, for 16 a million weeks, years. Yeah. 
But it was written by a great, great friend of mine, Michael Kamen, sadly no longer with us, and he also wrote the music for The Winter Guest. Mm. So, you know, every penny his family earns, I'm happy for. I've got to let you go in a moment. I have a, a, have a question that's kind of from left field, but obviously the Alan Rickman impressions are manifold out there on the internet. I just wondered, Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom Hiddleston have a rivalry. Who you think is the best? As you probably know only too well, you wouldn't recognise your own voice if you heard it, particularly because I don't know what happens to sound waves and things, but mm. it doesn't sound like what I hear when I hear it played back. And th- that must be a sign of desperation to sit and listen to other people impersonating you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a sad life. Are you, uh, are you an impressionist yourself? Kevin Spacey famously just reels them off when you're talking to him. No, I don't know if you've ever heard the tape of Anthony Hopkins. Nobody can beat that. You just think if that's... If anybody uh, could outdo him, he's brilliant. Who does he do? Everybody, you know. He made a private tape, if you can get a hold of it. It's it's brilliant. Olivier, you know, all the people he grew up with. I'm going to go check YouTube straight after this. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he's put it on YouTube. <laughs> Michael Caine you know. is... Gary like... Oldman is lethal as well. If you ever get an interview with him, lethal. Does he do a Rickman? Probably. <laughs> you don't, <didn't> <laughs> <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us in the Thank podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alan. Thanks. How was he, Phil? He was superb. Yeah. What a pro- what a pr- pleasure and a privilege to be able to spend time with me. Alan I know, Rick- but what was Alan with Rickman? Alan Rickman. Alan Rick- did he sound like Alan Rickman? Mostly. Yeah. Yes, he did mostly sound like Alan Rickman. Yeah. Yeah. He um um. I f- I don't know. He's a, he was a little daunting to be in a, to be to be chatting with with this man because he's so legendary. Alan he's so Alan Rickman-y. Yeah, mm. but yeah, he was he was lovely, good company, and uh, and fun to chat to. He's not a knight yet, is he? Not as yet. What's happened? The I Sir Alan know. role has been taken by a lesser Alan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happened, but he should be a knight because he's well. Technically, the, the Sir Alan I'm, I'm sure you're referring to is now a lord. Oh yeah, good point. So. so so mm. there you go. You Correct. never know. You know. He did a he, Phil he, corrected. He, yes. The search for Lord Sugar's business partner <laughs> continues. Right. Uh <laughs> let's move on to this week's releases. Slightly underpowered week at the multiplexes, if we're honest, almost as if people are waiting for the Avengers to show up. Uh but let's start with Mr. Rickman and a little chaos. Phil Cat. Hi. Let's talk about this film. Yeah, well, it's his second film we touched on in the interview. He made his first one back in 1997, and it's taken him a while. I think he's just looking for the right thing to do. He mentioned it in the podcast that he's been... he's been Harry Potter basically just kept him... You need a good full year and a bit to do to direct a film. Um, it's that sort of all, all-consuming, and he couldn't do it during Potter. So this has come along. It's something that's obviously kind of piqued his interest, and I think because of the fact that it's got this really strong female character, Sabine de Barra, She's fictional, but she's set very much in a in a real world set in the late seventeenth century as Louis the Fourteenth, the mm-hmm. Sun King, played by Rickman himself, mm-hmm. um, moves his 
sort of corporate headquarters out of Paris to the Palace of Versailles. <laughs> she has been commissioned to um, to design a garden. Now, the title, Little Chaos, refers to the fact that she is a funky, fresh, new garden. <laughs> this isn't how they phrase it in the film. It's she's a funky, though. fresh, new horticultural stylist, and she's got some new ideas. Matea Schonards, the dramatic and romantic tension at the heart of this film, is her boss, another landscaper who's much more formal in his outlook. Mm. And the two of them, there is this kind of mm. tension between them that may or may not end in... In, Seed in sauciness. Oh, right, okay. oh, Chris, come on. Chris. Seriously. What? Seriously. It's a gardening <laughs> film. It is a gardening <laughs> film, you're right. There are some seeds planted. And um, the, the, central, the, the the two of them are the kind of the heart of the film. Now, I don't know if, if yeah. you'd agree with this, but I thought Matthias Schoenarts was slightly underpowered in this. I've seen him. He's been in a lot of films this, this year. We're going to talk about him quite soon. In um, he's, probably in, he's probably far in from Avengers. the Madding, far from the Madding oh, right, crowd. Okay. I don't yeah. think he's in. He, no, he'd work in that though, wouldn't he? He'd play Baron von Strucker's brother, <laughs> Jeff. potentially Jeff Strucker. Jeff Strucker. <laughs> that would imply that Vaughn is his first name, which obviously <laughs> probably isn't. Um, and and uh, but I, you know, he can be really good. He brings this kind of this kind of raw, untamed physicality to stuff, and and he, he's very expressive as well. He can do quiet and reined in, but I think he's just a little too reined in in this film, which which. Just drained it a little bit. I was all the pacing. I would no, absolutely to screw away. But in one second, I would just say, <laughs> I would just say, for me, it was very handsome. It's a very stately film. Mm. Um, I think my mum is going to love this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a film about gardening that contains absolutely no squirrels, which is ticking all her boxes. I think in that sense, and uh, it's got a lot to recommend. It. He, he does a really good job mm-hmm. directing. Wins performs. The role beautifully. It's a feminist movie, and it's it, like far from the Madding crowd. Actually, mm. it's a it's a film sort of a modern context, a modern take on an older context. What did you think? Yeah, I'm. I'm I'll be honest. I'm not mad at Sean Arts, and and really never have been. Um, I think it's. I think it's pretty good. I think it's. Yeah, it's it's oddly directed at times. There's there's at least one scene where people have the same conversation twice, uh, as if he couldn't quite make up his mind in the editing room which version he preferred and. And should have maybe just tightened it up a little bit. So there's a few moments like that which um, which don't play as well as they could have done. Um, but it made me really want to garden, uh, and <laughs> I, I can't keep a window box alive, you know. So so that's not something that comes naturally. But um, but no, it's it, it's really it is really sweet and likable. And yes, your mum will definitely like it. Mm-hmm. And if it's on TV on a Sunday night, you should definitely watch it. I'm not sure it's necessarily a must-see in the cinema. But I, I'll tell you another thing, actually, having been to Versailles a lot and tour-guided around there and that kind of thing, it's it's pretty historically okay. I mean, apart from this invented character, mm-hmm. it's not wildly inaccurate. Um, which there was is, a king called Louis XIV. <laughs> there was a I king called up. Louis XIV, yes. Yeah. But even, even to, the, to the level of, you know... Uh, a character who dies in the course of the story did die around that time. They haven't footsed the history too much. Okay. Le Notre was a real was a real guy and a really kick-ass gardener. You know, top so. pronunciation, probably. Ah, très bien, merci. Bien sûr. There, my favorite bit is the bit where, <laughs> after the credits, Alan Titchmarch turns up and rec- recruits her for Gardener's <laughs> recruits her for Gardener's World. That's excellent, and yeah. that could open this up. This this this. Oh, a whole new. Gardening, gardening cinematic universe. Gardening universe. Yeah. Alan, Alan Rickman gardening cinematic universe. With the T- constant gardener, uh, Ray Fiennes would be in there as well. Would Titch they March. operate out of home base? Is that what they would <laughs> they would do? There's That'd a lot be, of opportunities to spin this off in strange directions. That would be amazing. Uh, this film, I believe, is rated R in the states. <coughs> which which leads me to believe that there's quite what, a few scenes. Ray King? 
quite a few scenes of of extravagant bush trimming. Is is that? I'm, I mean, I'm, but here it's a twelve A. So what's happened? Uh, I, honestly, the only scene I can think of uh, that might have caused that is is one involving Lenotra's wife, uh, who's played by Helen McCrory, who's who's a bad and um, <sighs> and 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 she you know gets a little bit frisky with a man in a carriage, but uh, but you don't see you know anything. I, I don't quite know where that's coming from. That's a bizarre, bizarre rating. Mm. Stanley Tucci is flamboyant in this film. For he people is, that yeah. enjoy Tucci flamboyance and, and didn't get enough of it in Fortitude, <laughs> of which there was virtually no flamboyance at all from Tucci or anyone else that matter. Um, yeah, I don't have any idea where that would be rated R. That's extraordinary to me. Are you sure? I don't know. Oh, oh it was just for the bush trimming? No, uh, no I, I read yesterday it was an R, but I don't really? know. Okay. Me, I, can, I can double check all it. Right. I can double check it. You know, what, you know what's always fun to listen to on podcasts? People Googling stuff. People live Googling. <laughs> I always think that's fun. So just bear with me. Um, how are you, listeners? How have you been? Is everything good? Everything good at home? I can't even spell chaos. This is not going well. Oh, hey, Olivia Munn was cast as Psylocke this week. We should probably talk about that. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's good casting. It is, yeah. That's very good casting. A Little Chaos... Uh, release TBD. It's from Focus R rated. Wow! Boom! Live googling. Wow! That was amazing. Bizarre. Yeah, there we go. Maybe there's there's more scenes of bush trimming in the American release. Who knows? Who knows? You just anyway. got that one joke, and you're going to drive it into the. I brand, can't think of you? any. I can think of there's there's, there's plowing, but I think that would take this podcast into a different. Yeah, it just feels. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Hose. I don't know. It's it's fertile ground. It's all sorts of stuff. Anyway, uh, what did we give Little Chaos? We gave that three stars. Three stars. There we go. Okay, let's move on to Child 44, the somewhat buried adaptation of Tom Rob Smith's best-selling thriller uh, set in Russia with a cracking cast doing their best Russian accent. Uh, so, Tom Hardy, yeah. Gary Oldman, Numi yeah. Rapace. Yeah. Who else? Can't remember. Oh, um, Vincent Cassel is in it. Joel Kinnaman. Vincent Castle. Sure. Charles Dance turns up for about 30 seconds at one point. Jason Clark turns up for um, two, two and a half minutes. As John Connor? Um, yes, let's say so. I'm in the wrong yeah. movie, he realizes. <laughs> runs out. So this is set in, uh, in Stalin's Russia, 1953-ish, I think the book okay. was. Um, and it's uh, Tom Hardy is a member of the MGB, which is the Internal Secret Police, essentially. So he's, he's tasked with hunting down traitors to the state um, and ensuring that everybody stays on track. He's married to Numi Rapace, who he's crazy about, um, his wife, Raisa. Um, the problem is that one day when he, um, when he and his colleague Joel Kinnaman, who's a complete rat fink, um, <laughs> they go they go to arrest Jason Clark. And apparently, when Jason Clark is interrogated by Joel Kinnaman, he names Tom Hardy's wife as one of his fellow traitors. <gasps> right. Dun, dun, um, so dun. Hardy has to investigate his own wife. Um, meanwhile, a, another colleague's son is killed. Um, and the 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 state the the, the organisation decides that it it was an accident. Um, he, Tom Hardy is increasingly not convinced of this um, and begins to look into it. And the problem the problem with all of this, basically, is our two tenets of Stalinist thought. Number one, if you're, if you're under suspicion, it must be for a reason you're basically guilty. Number two, in the Soviet paradise, uh, which they maintain they live in, um, there can be no crime because crime is a capitalist, is a product of capitalism. Um, therefore... 
crime doesn't happen. Um, only treason happens. And so if you start investigating a crime, you are implicitly treasonous. And that's basically the dilemma in which Hardy finds himself. If he investigates this child murder, he's essentially going against what the state says happened, which is that it was a train uh, accident. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a really interesting setup, and the book is really good at exploring it and exploring this, this complete paranoia that governs every aspect of their lives. The problem with the film is that it's a terrible adaptation of the book. It, it loses... <laughs> Like it loses, you know, 90% of the kind of the, of what makes the book work. There's a laid on twist in the book, which is completely jettisoned here. And maybe that would have been a bridge too far. Maybe it wouldn't have worked and convinced on screen, but it doesn't work without it either. Um, and I mean, you know, Gary Oldman like turns up halfway through, is really good, but doesn't have any obvious role and then kind of disappears again. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't come together. Mm. Um, and the Russian accents, I think, I mean, on one hand, yes, they mean that Numi Rapace and Vincent Cassel are speaking in the same way that everybody else is. But that just means they all sound wrong. It doesn't help. Vincent Cassel. Sure. Um, anyway, so it, 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 it doesn't work. It would be a two stars from us. I remember reading the book and thinking, you'd do really well to mess this up as a film. I know, right? I think, but I think maybe it should have been. <laughs> so, congratulations. <laughs> maybe it should have been a TV show or something, because actually, when they when they try to hit the marks in the book, it just feels rushed um, and yet slow at the same time. It you know it feels like we're rushing from mark to mark, but nothing's happening, um, and it's it's just quite a frustrating film to watch, especially if you have read the book. I do, however, recommend reading the book. It's a really good kind of thriller. Is this a sort of book that they would have adapted brilliantly in the? In the sort of late eighties, nineties, yeah. they did this really, really well. Yeah, people like Philip Noyce and even Sidney Lumet, Sidney Pollack, those sorts of directors handle this material so well. It sounds like this is a dog's dinner. It's just a bit of a mess. Um, I, I don't know what's kind of gone wrong here, but something really has. So yeah, two stars. Two stars in for Child Forty Four, and the last one we're going to tackle in detail this week is Big Old Mads Mikkelsen, starring in a Danish western. No, you heard that right, The Salvation. Hell's Bells. This is the story of... So Mads Mikkelsen uh, plays an ex-soldier um, from Denmark who, with his brother, has moved to America seven years before the story starts um, and set up a farm and, and started things moving. And as our story begins in 1871, um, his wife and his son are finally joining him after a hugely long separation. He meets them at the train. They get the stagecoach to go back to his farm and two ne'er-do-wells get in the stagecoach and set up a tragedy which basically uh, results in him killing the brother of a major crime lord who's played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, um, which then sets up uh, a huge kind of quest for revenge. I don't want to get too much into the detail because actually the detail is where a lot of the, the interest in this in this story comes in. But there, there are elements involving, you know, land grabs, um, oil prospecting, um, and good old-fashioned Western revenge all kind of going on in this in this story of... of um, of two men who basically mm. clash and it, it just seems inevitable. It's one of those kind of tragedies that's unfolding. You can't see the the part where you should have done something different and saved yourself, which is always quite a, a compelling thing to watch. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is also always a quite compelling thing to watch. Um, and he's surrounded by, it's one of those Westerns where they get that one of the things that's so good about Westerns is when they all have those really interesting faces you know, yes. and so the, the supporting cast is just full of mm. interesting faces. And I would include in that 
the likes of Eric Cantona. I was just about to say. Who's in there as uh, magnificently bearded. Oh, yeah. Um, as one of the uh, the sort of sidekicks to, to Jeffrey Dean Morgan, a.k.a. Papa Winchester, by the way. <laughs> Anyway, you didn't think I wasn't <laughs> going to mention that, did you? Um, you've also got Ava Green as an extravagantly scarred and tongueless sort of, um, I was about to say mole, but that's obviously the wrong genre. But yes. she is she is the wife of the deceased, um, the soon-to-be-deceased uh, uh, ne'er-do-well criminal. So uh, it's a really just an interesting lineup of people. And then you've got, you know, a fairly standard Western that unfolds, but it's in, it's modern enough and it's got enough of a twist on it that it mm. works pretty well. Filmed in South Africa... So I think a lot of those shots of um, essentially what looks like Monument Valley in the background are essentially CG'd in, but but they're pretty well done, apart from some extraordinarily bad CV, CG in the very last shot. Seems a shame. It does L- a bit. Like a little chaos, actually. Yeah, a bit of a trend. A little bit, actually, a bit yeah. of a trend, sadly. But uh, four stars. Four stars, yeah. Then for The Salvation. I really should hate, as a fervent Liverpool fan, hate Eric Cantona with a passion, but I love the fact that he's... He's giving acting a go and is actually pretty good at it. And, you know, he gives good beard. And Phil, <laughs> I don't know if we've ever discussed this in the podcast. We before, have, we Phil, have. Yeah, yeah he did. Mm. Famously. Ask him how hairy his house was. Yes, how airy... How airy is my how house. How airy is my house? No, no, no. How hairy is your arse, Eric? <laughs> I can't be any clearer about that. Uh, four stars then for the salvation. Also out this week is the Irish drama Glassland, uh, starring Jack Rayner, uh, Will Poulter, Michael Smiley, Tony Collette, directed by the sickeningly young Gerard Barrett. He's about 12, and this is his, I think, third film already. Uh, that is absolutely fine, solid, straight down the middle, three stars. Same three stars uh, also for Anna Kendrick, singing it up a storm, not in Pitch Perfect 2, but in The Last Five Years, which is a uh, relationship musical based on a Broadway hit. Off, I think off Broadway. Off, off Broadway. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. Not Broadway. Slightly, slightly, yeah. uh, slightly downbeat musical. It's fair to say. It's 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 not a happy happily ever after kind of a love story. Okay. And you haven't seen this one, Helen, despite being a fan of the Anna Kendrick and the singing and the whatnot. You saw Anna Kendrick singing this week, but not in the last five years. I'm not allowed to review that yet. That yet, though. Yeah. But, but yes. You- you can confirm that you saw something which Anna mm-hmm. Kendrick sings. I can confirm that I saw a new film in which Anna Kendrick sings. Yes. Called Pitch Perfect 2. <laughs> of which they'll yeah. be in Pitch Perfect 3 as well. Yes, they have. They've announced plans. They're very confident. Uh, should they be confident, Helen? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that embargo went well. <laughs> um, can I finish my biscuit? No. Sorry. You can't finish your biscuit. You have to be professional at all times. Okay. I've still got one film to talk about. There's a remake of a 1970s horror, The Town of the Dread of Sundown. We gave it three stars. It's a three-star week, apart from The Salvation, which is a four-star film. And probably film of the week. Let's yes. say film of the week. Yeah. Should we say yeah, film of the week? We should. Let's say film of the week. Um, okay, excellent. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we will hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, be talking to some people from Avengers Age of Ultron. I was meant to have a big announcement ready to make at this point in the podcast, but it hasn't been locked down yet, so I can't make that announcement. So if you do listen to this, um, and we do have a big announcement to make. And do check Twitter. Do keep your eye on Twitter. Keep your eye on Facebook. Keep your eye on our new Fibre account as well. Keep your eye on a fucking plane in the sky. <laughs> I was wearing a lot this week. Uh, keep your eye on a plane in the sky with a big thing behind it with a big announcement. Um, and if it doesn't happen, then that's just pretend it didn't say this. I'm okay. being vague enough about what it could be that we're making the announcement about so that if it doesn't happen, then people would go, oh, well, you promised this. Right. And you haven't delivered. 
Whereas so, if I promise it and then we do deliver... You're over-delivering. Yeah, I'm over-delivering. So if there's news, yes. that would be the news. The, yes. The, or, but if there isn't news, that won't be it. Yeah, there won't be any your, news. Yeah, no one listens to this bit, so this is all completely yeah. redundant. So I can finish but, my biscuit. You can finish your biscuit. All right, there you go. Thanks. And if that doesn't happen, then we might just be talking to ourselves next week, but that's... I'd like to apologise to all listeners who are currently really, really confused. All right, I'll try and be as clear as I possibly can on this one. There's something that we want to announce, but it hasn't been locked down, so we can't announce it. So keep an eye on all our social media channels and the website for an announcement if it gets locked down. If it doesn't get locked down and doesn't happen, then we won't announce it. Okay. Then forget we said anything. <laughs> then forget we said anything, and let's go on with our day. Does that seem fair enough? Yes. Fine. All right. Good. Excellent. Until that historic moment, it's <laughs> or goodbye. Not. <laughs> or not. It's definitely goodbye from Helen. Totally. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to read about Asian Dawn in Time Magazine. See you next week. Bye.